We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. It is January 2022. Uh, We are officially into a new year of brotherhood. This is our first podcast, our first recap of our January breakfast with Pastor Whit George. And man, it's uh, man, it was it was back on the seventh, and it's been like a little over a week since we've had a chance to listen to it. But just feels like a lot has gone on since then. But you know, for me, it's this is one of those, I think, timeless messages. I don't think it's something that, you know, we, when we're, when we're, you know, going to brotherhood and we're, when we're kind of hearing the different messages that our, our speakers bring, it's, it's, there's always so much good stuff. And I feel like some of them are like for a moment in time. And I feel like this one is more of a, just, it's a, it's an evergreen message, if you will. It's, it's a message that I think maybe is not necessarily exclusive to even this time of year. It's something that, you know, I would encourage people to probably listen to multiple times throughout the year, because I think this is just something that we need to, to constantly be reminded of. So Matt, as always, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I kind of jumped right into it. Sorry about that. But uh, uh, I, I think that today is, it's going to be a fun episode. I, I'm, I'm curious to, to get the, the things that you got out of it and, and really jump into it and, and hear some of the things that, uh, that you gleaned from, from Wit's message. But uh, say hello to everybody and, and let's jump into it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast once again. I love this time where we get to discuss. If nothing else, it's great for me. Uh, it sounds like it's great for you. And I'm I'm getting some good feedback. I think you have too. We've talked a little bit about that, that this is an opportunity to kind of get that real world perspective. How does it fit in our lives? I even like the fact that for this one, particularly, we've had a, a, a week or two to kind of listen and digest because you're right. It is something that you've got to listen to multiple times throughout the year. Anytime you listen to it, you're going to get a new perspective and a new shot of wisdom. You know, while you were talking, I started thinking about as I've gotten older into my 40s, I start to realize the importance of having some staples, some things that I know spiritually God has developed and placed out there that strengthen me, that develop me. And these are things that, yeah, they fall in the categories like Pastor Witt just talked about but they become individual to me. They become a bit customized, a bit uh, my one-on-one relationship with God. And these three things are vitally important. They're things that unfortunately had, so here's what I started reflecting on it immediately. And what I'm hoping to package for the guys listening is depending on where you're at. And I want to say age, because I look at, you know, when I was 20, I would have heard this or 30. How would have I heard this? If I, it was less the actual number of age and more the responsibility and maturity I was willing to embrace. And I think that's important to look through that lens because depending on how much responsibility and maturity you're willing to em- embrace in your life will determine how you hear this. And God's going to meet you where you're at. He's going to speak to you in those moments. Uh, but deb- we have a number of different in this day and age, we have people at different ages embracing different levels of maturity. We've got 20-year-olds branching out there saying, we're starting a family. We're doing everything we need to do. I'm going to stand on my own two feet. And we've got 38-year-olds in their parents' basement still trying to move out of the house. So that when you've got those two dichotomies of men, you don't just have the John Wayne figure from years ago where everybody's out at 18 and you pretty much 
just stay alive until you're 70 and then you die. Like that doesn't, that's not the demographic anymore. So I think whoever's listening to this, whoever's in the audience right now, and whoever was in the audience that day or whoever's listening to the podcast by Pastor Wood himself, you're going to hear it differently. And I would encourage you to ask God, what is he saying to me specifically right now for my time? And then how do I need to grow to hear this differently? How do I need to grow to hear this in a way that's going to sharpen me further down the road? Yeah, I well, I would I would extend it beyond the thirty uh, eight year old living in their parents' basement because, like, even when uh, Wit was talking about just some of the things he's going through with his dad, it's it, uh, you know part of it is just finishing well, like you know the phase that Pastor George is in, and uh, you know getting to that point point in life in in his late sixties, just kind of just walking through. Uh, even some of the things that, that Witt talked about here, a lot of the examples were with his father, which I think is is both him looking to the experience that he's having with his father right now, but I think also from his father's perspective uh, in those older years and in that more legacy uh, side of, of, of life. But I think even when we get that far in, we recognize that all these core principles that he talks about are all still valid, whether you're you know, a teenager coming to brotherhood for the first time or, and starting to realize the importance of community and the importance of having a brotherhood around you all the way to, you know, being an elder or, or, or being uh, a grandfather and giving back to that next generation or, 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 or pouring into your kids, uh, you know, through whatever phase it may be. I'm sure I'm going to jump around a lot on, on this just because uh, I, I think there's a lot of different things to grab onto, but you know, when, when he was talking about how, you know, he, he told his dad uh, that, well, first his dad told him, Hey, wait, I'm proud of you. And, and uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I got a little choked up on that. Um, Cause I think I, I could care. Like I put myself in his shoes as well as like uh, I, I, I kind of put myself in that situation with my father. Like, like what would it mean to have that kind of conversation? And um, you know, especially for somebody who's, maybe doesn't have that that strong of a relationship with their father to to have that kind of conversation what that means to them and just that it doesn't go away i mean i i, I can't remember if it was i don't think it was this i think it was a a, a podcast we talked about uh last month where it's just you 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 don't have from a from a loving perspective you're never full of love you you're never at a point where it's just like okay you've you've told me you love me approximately 6000 times I'm good. You don't have to tell me anymore. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's a constant thing. And I think it's important that, uh, you know, even guys sitting in the room at that moment to recognize, Hey, this is, this is communication that we need to continually have, uh, with our kids, with our, our families, you know, with our friends, with our brotherhood. Um, because you, you can't just take it for granted. If you take it for granted and you know, you're not pouring into the relationship, I, I think people forget. I think people just have that natural need for that reassurance of the relationship. And if you're not invested in that and mentally being intentional to do that, I think that's where relationships start to fall apart. But uh, man, this a lot of this stuff that we're going to talk about today, uh, kind of tying into this uh, theme of three things that every guy needs to know about following Christ. Um, I'm excited because I, I think that w when I think about, and, and Matt, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. When I think about following Christ or even just the, uh, you know, let's, let's go to like the beginning part of the relationship, right? 
you know, you're in church, you say the, the sinner's prayer, you recognize, Hey, like I, I, I'm a sinner. I need a savior and I need to, to kind of go on this journey with Christ. I don't know that we're thinking about every, like, w- there's so much more, right? Like we feel like it's just this, this initial decision that it's like, okay, like I, you know, I, I believe in Christ. I, I believe that he died for my sins. I'm a sinner that needs a savior, like that whole thing. But then there's this, there, there's like, there's a, a process of following Christ that comes after that. And I think that a lot of times people just think, oh, okay, well, I, I'm saved now. Everything goes back to normal or, or, or on the other side of it, I'm saved now. What do I do? And I think that's where like some of this gets a lot more um, meaningful because you're like, okay, like it's not super complex, but there's the, the more that you dig into it, the deeper it is. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. You know, we all start our walk off with this picture in our head of what it's going to be like and kind of what we've gotten. And depending on our influences growing up with Christianity, depending on our influences on who led us in said situation, you know, said prayer, you know, whether it's the church camp experience or the youth convention experience or at college experience, or you went out and lived your life, sowed your wild oats experience and thought, oh my gosh, I've destroyed my life. I'm coming back to Christ or I'm coming to Christ for the first time. Like all of those experiences carry with them a different perspective and different picture. So then you mentioned the people who are like the, oh, I'm saved, said it, forget it. I don't really, not going to change anything. I kind of just did the thing. You know, I've met guys like that. I still know guys like that. Friends that, you know, I led to Jesus or they got saved about the same, same time I did in high school. And you wouldn't know anything different in their lives now. Like they just have a one time I did this story. And then you have the people that it totally radically changes their lives. Well, that picture It's like salvation, that initial submission to God, then gives God access to start tweaking that picture. And the more you submit to it, the more it gets tweaked. And the more you submit to it, the more it gets changed and adjusted. And you end up living a life that you kind of saw you would live. But but when you look back at it, you're like, but I never saw any of that. Like I never even considered those things would go on in my life where I would do that kind of growth or need that kind of growth. Because when you first accept Christ, there's so you accept it on the big picture of the either you're not going to hell, which is the big one, or the fulfillment you can get inside. That's probably a newer one that comes along. People feel emptiness, so now God fills them up. And that is such a small portion. And yet the whole answer, like it's that's what gets me. It's like it's the whole answer, and yet such that sentence is such a small experience of God fills me up. Like yeah, well, wait after about 20 years when you realize how much you would have been empty. Like that's when you start to really, wow, I'm, I remember Pastor George said this years ago and it really blessed me. And every time I hear it, it helps me. He talked about how, you know, Pastor George, Willie George has an incredible testimony, has an incredible, you know, uh, from alcohol, from all kinds of places of sin to, you know, a place where he was beat. I mean, just a, a testimony where God just, took him completely out of a life of sin and put him in a life of righteousness. But then of course he trains most people who live under his ministry are people who just pretty much had a life of righteousness. Like there's not a lot of, you know, I don't have a major story where I'm like off the deep end or addicted to this or changed over this or, you know, did this in my life. But he said this one time, he said, think about your testimony as you've never known a day where the life of God didn't surround you. 
Like when you look back at that, you think, wow, that is tremendous. That's an incredible way to live. So when you think about that salvation experience, like that's something to grab a hold on. Like that's something that God really has done in my life and will continue to do in people's lives. You can go a full lifetime and always know God's grace in your life. Yeah. And that's powerful. I mean, I, I think sometimes people maybe look back at their uh, at their walk and, and and take it for granted and be like, oh, you know, I don't know if I have a stronger relationship if uh, if it, I, I don't know that I would have had as strong a relationship or I don't have a, as strong a relationship as I do for somebody who needed to be saved. And I think that, uh, you know, when, when you look at the, the people that have had a really rough life and they've hit rock bottom and, and they're in that situation and, and they've, they've kind of come to the end of themselves and they say, you know, God, they, they cry out to God, God, I need you. Like that's, that's where you I think you fully understand God's love. I think it's a little bit more difficult uh, to fully understand God's love when, when, when you're kind of in the other situation where it's like, he's always been there and it's something that you take for granted. I, I, I kind of tie it a little bit to, and I, I think the reason that he hits on this point so strongly of uh, know that you are loved is that I, I think sometimes we either take it for granted or we don't really fully understand the depth of the love, which I think we tried to talk about a little bit in the last podcast, uh, just kind of, you know, the while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us mentality and, and what that really means and, and the, the pain that he knew going through the cross, like what he was going to have to do and why he had to do it and why he had to allow all these things to happen to demonstrate that love so that we could see that. I think a lot of times we, we just we don't get into a situation where we really reflect on the sacrifice. And I think sometimes it's important to go through all of that. And sometimes that perspective, like you're talking about, as you get older, you get that little bit more maturity, you start to realize uh, the cost. You, you start to actually put weight on that cost where it's like, if I just tell you Christ died for your sins, you're, you're a sinful person. And, you know, so he died for you and, and now you're saved. Like, I don't know that that has the same meaning if you're hearing it for the first time and you don't feel unloved and you don't feel fulfilled and you don't feel these things. Because I think there are things out there in life that we chase and there are things that we do unknowingly uh, to to try to get that love. And, and in some cases, they fulfill that need temporarily. But I think that, you know, he made the point that even successful men are insecure about the weakness of rejection. So they're always trying to prove it. They just may have not actually honed in on the actual insecurity that they have. They just think it's, oh, if I, if I continue to pursue this, then happiness is on the other side. If I continue to pursue this, I'll be able to, you know, prove myself and, and I'll have validation. I'll have purpose in, in what I need. And, I want to say it's a Jim Carrey quote, and I don't, I don't know if it's, I'm going to say it correctly, but I think he said something to the effect of, I wish that everyone uh, who thinks that they'll be happy when they're successful will achieve success and realize that that's not where true happiness lies. Yeah. Uh, and that is, I've taken some liberties with that quote, but I think that's essentially the gist of it. And I think that, you know, when you think about people that, you know, who the world would say is successful, who should have all the happiness in the world because they have the money, they have the fame, they have the status, they have influence, they have power, they have all these things that that fulfillment is not truly there. And it's, it goes back to this is knowing, knowing that you're loved, but also recognizing that the love that we need 
comes can only really come from one place. Like you can't you can't be uh, continue to operate out of a deficiency. Uh, what compares it that love is flowing like a fountain through us. So there's a there's a there's a constant supply that's needed. So it's we're not a we're not a lake, we're a river, and and, and so you constantly have to have that flow. But if if you cut it off at the source then everything down the line suffers. And I think that's where it's really important for us to continue to recognize that need for love, that continual need for love and where we can, where we need to get that. Because, you know, if we don't have that, we really can't be effective. I don't think we can be effective Christians. We can't demonstrate God's love for other people. If we're not, if we're operating from a deficiency and what I really liked about kind of the thing that he was talking about towards the end of this point was recognizing and hearing God's voice and, and, and identifying how to do that. that. That's been something for me, like, especially like when I went on my mountain man trip, one of the things that I really wanted to make sure that I was doing was, am I able to hear God's voice, especially as I got older and was trying to make more decisions that were in the, you know, like, am I including God in, in the decisions? Am, am I, am I stewarding well, the things that he's given me? And, and, and part of that, challenge was recognizing, okay, am I truly hearing from God? If I'm truly hearing from God, then, uh, you know, I, I feel like I can steward well, but if I'm guessing all the time, it kind of puts me in a, in a weird place. And, and what he said, and it really connected with me is that to hear God's voice, look at what he already said. And that's where he's talking about reading God's word and, and, and kind of gleaning from, from that side of it. And it was like, oh yeah, like that is where the relationship, that's where like the, from the, the practical application of like, I know God loves me. I need to hear God's voice. What does God's voice sound like? It's, it's in his word. It's reading his Bible. It's understanding the character of God through everything that we do and that we read. And I think that's why it's so important to kind of start from the beginning of this point to the end of this point is God loves you. You, you are loved. You need that love. And in order to receive that love, you have to get it from him. And in order to get it from him, you have to have relationship. Yeah, he paints a great picture of you cannot love somebody if there's no love in you. And that resonates true. You know, I I was thinking this morning, you know, the time and space from when I wake up to when I drop my kids off, like are the fruits of the spirit coming out of me during that time? You know, are my kids and my wife seeing somebody who re reflects Christ and something Christ is doing in our lives? So often... I want to conjure that up. Just be nicer this morning, you know, just um, yell less. You know what? Don't, don't, next time, don't send them off to school after yelling at them. Like, just, just don't do that. And that strategy fails every time. Every single time. Well, I guess every once in a while. It works a couple times in a row. But from a large uh, arc, from a long standing standpoint, that strategy of just don't do this doesn't work. You end up doing it without even realizing it. And then the enemy comes and condemns you right after. So my approach is consistently, am I filling up with the traits from God that I want to want to make sure my kids are feeling? And I wish it were that simple. Like I'm saying it in my very formulaic Matt Schrader mind. Like I can't, it's hard for me to go. I have not figured out to go to God and be like, all right, boom, boom. I got about 20 minutes. Can you fill me up with patience? Can you fill me up with joy? Can you fill me up with love? Can you like, that's not how it works. It's just be in his presence. It reminds me of the scripture in his presence is fullness of joy. 
you could almost say in his presence is fullness of insert fruit of righteousness that you need fruit of righteousness that you should be displaying in his presence is fullness of self-control meekness joy peace kindness goodness all of those things that come out from and are fruits of righteousness well those are found in his presence so it's actually way more effective for me to say matt are you consistently committed to spending time in god's presence because when i am i can tell you this evan those things flow out of me and i don't say that i say that from a very humble point because i mean it's a constant uh exercise it's a constant practice i don't like saying the word effort because it's really not me doing much of it it's god flowing through me but i've found that the more time i spend in god's presence the more time i see my child through the eyes in the value of god and that helps that helps isn't the right word either because it's not i want the people hearing this not to i don't want the picture painted that it's some kind of conjuring or this ability when i'm seeing when i'm in god's presence often i naturally more regularly see my children and my wife through the value of the lens of god and then because of that because of seeing that value i don't respond in the same way see it's the devaluing them the looking through the a lens of the flesh or the lens of my own capacity that devalues them enough to snap and yell and speak to them harshly or in a way that would be uh, that you got to ask forgiveness later but and this is what i love about god like when i'm spending time in his presence i naturally see through his lens and when i see through his lens what comes over me when my child is being disobedient because of a lack of understanding and ability or is doing things that's keeping us from getting out the door or whatever it is because of a because of her child like that compassion washes over me and i see them as I, these words never go through my head but it's the sense of that that is a valued child of god whom i'm going to treat with patience and the same patience i want for myself i'm going to treat him with that like that happens as a natural occurrence just like orange fruit grows off an orange tree patience with my children happens as a natural occurrence when i spend time in the presence of god what pastor whip was giving us is ways and a lens to look through i guess that gets us in the presence of god yeah well i think i i feel like that ties into a second point that uh that you're called and i think that when you have that closeness right you're you're already talking about operating in the in the ministry now now you're caring for other people you're seeing other people as Christ sees them, right? Like you're, you're in that situation where because of your closeness to God, you are able to bring others close to God. Is it, I think that's what I'm trying to say. No, that was uh, beautifully worded. That was it. That was beautiful. Yeah. yeah so rewind on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, well, I, I think it's interesting because he, he talks about like, uh, you know, the, the church, like we feel like the church is the ministry. And so when you're inside the building, the ministry happens when you're outside the building, you know, it, it, it's separated. And, and he, you know, he differentiates the, the, the term lay people in, in terms of like, you know, lay people are, are not specialized people. They're just people that, you know, that aren't trained for a specific thing. But I think it's important to know that kind of building on the point that you, that you were talking about is when you have that closeness in that relationship, you're not a lay person. You're a minister. You're, you're, you're a witness in some case, like you are, you are, you, you've seen how God has worked through your life, uh, through the closeness that you and the relationship that you have with him. 
that it naturally dr- should draw other people to God just because of the character of God. Like if, if we're, if we're accurately emulating and, and demonstrating that, then I believe that people will be naturally drawn to Christ because first of all, we were created for that. And so, you know, part of that is just that, that natural draw. But when they see that in other people and they see that relationship, they see the peace that people have, they see uh, that, you know, they're, they're not operating from a love deficiency. I think that's when the ministry truly works because, you know, because we're love, we can love. And through that, we can help other people. We can use whatever it is that we have, whether it be our work or whether it be our relationships to, to bless other people. Um, and I, I know we, at some point I want to have a podcast about this and, and I know you've probably talked about this before, but just the concept of, uh, work as worship and, 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 and using kind of that, the, the things that we do, the influence that we have, the occupations that we, uh, commit ourselves to, like how, how in our work can we reflect Christ? And I think that sometimes, again, when you're operating from that love deficiency, you're not looking for those things. You're just looking for the, 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 the scorecard. You're looking for the money. You're looking for the power. But I think that mind shift, mind uh, shift mindset, there's the word I'm looking for, that your mindset shifts when you are uh, not operating from that deficiency. Now your work has purpose. Now your work has meaning that you can pass on to other people. Um, he, you know, he talks a little bit towards the end of this point of the, the field gleaning, and it's not necessarily about taking and squeezing the most out of everything, but it's looking for opportunities to bless other people, looking for specific opportunities to give back. And I think when you, when you have God as your source and, and when you're in that situation where you are fulfilled, then there's no threat to helping other people. Uh, there's no, there's no reason for you to protect, uh, and hoard things because you know that more is coming. And I think that that's where that whole multiply and ministry, um, mentality really comes into play and, and truly saying from a worship standpoint, God, through my work, no matter what I do, I'm giving this, I freely give this to you because I know that you're in control. I, I'm, I'm a steward of the things that, that you've given me. And yes, I do want to be successful, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, 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 is being within the purpose that you created for me, uh, and, and helping to fulfill your mission of helping other people and, and bringing other people to you. And I think that if you start to be able to do that in your work and recognize your calling, I think that I'm not going to say everything just works itself out because, you know, I feel like there's plenty of times that when I feel like I'm tuned into that, I still struggle with it. But I, I think that the challenge that we run into is that we're only looking at small, brief moments in time. I'm looking at today's sales, not this this year's sales or this month's sales. I'm not, I'm not looking at every single moment that I should be looking at. I'm only looking at this little piece. But when I pull back and I have, I, I, I take God's perspective of it and I take, uh, I know what, what God has for me through his purpose and, and through that closeness to him, I can look at that situation completely different and ultimately uh, just say, all right, what, what are more ways that I can serve other people? What are more ways that I can give back? What are more ways that I can pour into my customers? Uh, and 
create those conversations and 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 have that ministry and and continue to no matter what the situation just worship god with it and and let let god use it and even if i don't see what the end result's going to be that's okay um i don't know that i'm fully there yet <laughs> but i i do I, I see flashes of it i see flashes like uh i just posted something on my linkedin not too long ago just talking about like conflict res resolution when like when I know that I've made a mistake in my job or, or my, somebody on my team has, is that something where I'm going to sit back and say, okay, what, what can I do to completely get out of this situation unscathed? Or do I recognize that in this situation, I've probably screwed up. I've put my customer in a bad position. And instead of just trying to remedy the situation and, and, and fix it and just move on, maybe use that situation to even though it's going to hurt invest in that customer because i know that there's there's times where uh i've i've just wanted to just just pay the the least i could possibly pay um you know and just move on just get past it and, and ignore it but but instead take that situation and use it as a growing opportunity for my team use it as a growing opportunity like a relationship building opportunity for for my client um and i know that i'm not going to do anything perfect i know that my clients are not always going to do things perfect so we're going to be in these situations every once in a while where somebody screwed up and somebody needs to fix it and somebody needs to make it right and I, if I'm operating from an abundance mentality, if I'm operating from the flow of, of, of God is in control, like I don't have to, I don't have to just squeeze everything out of it to try to minimize, minimize my losses to the extent where like maybe the customer doesn't feel like it's a good deal, but that's all I'm going to offer them. I think that what, what God's kind of teaching me through it is, <clears throat> you know, how can I use this opportunity to express God's love, to trust God in this situation and to just say, God, I give the situation to you. Like, I, I don't, I don't like that we screwed up. I don't like that we made a mistake. And the, the other side of it as well, like if, if I'm in a situation where somebody I'm working with, they've screwed up, uh, can I offer them grace? Do I have to win in that situation? I now have leverage. Do I have to uh, squeeze everything out of them I possibly can, or do I step back and say, you know what, God's God's going to take care of this. I'm going to, I don't have to win here. Like I, I'm, I'm going to let this situation flow. And I think that, you know, when, when you're in that operation of recognizing that God's in control, you can use those situations completely differently than just let's, let's just get past this. Let's, let's, let's try to minimize the impact and move on. Th those can be actual ministry opportunities. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I mean, I, I see the whole picture you're painting. And when I try to describe it, I think to myself, this is not going to make sense. But that scripture, I want to read this real quick. Leviticus, if you're looking for that scripture and you're listening, Leviticus 19.9 is what Pastor Whip was talking about. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. And for I walk through the same mental process as you do. Everything you've said, I thought, yes, yeah, I man, I walk into that that mathematics as well, like, you know, grace and these different things. Because you don't for me, I have a tough time putting on paper what that looks like. And when I read that scripture or when I hear someone quote it, it reminds me that 
God didn't actually lay a blueprint down in this specific sentence for how to take care of the poor in that situation. You know, this is actually used later on in the story of Boaz and Ruth. Boaz tells his guys, hey, make sure you give her the edges, give her the edges. He was actually already commanded to do that. I don't know if he was backing off at that moment. Like maybe he was outside the covenant in that action. At that moment, he realized he was squeezing every drop out of his fields at that time. And God prompts him. So he's like, nope, got to get back to walking within the boundaries that the law had set up or if he had already been doing it. Either way, it's a posture that I have to take. It's like a mentality that I have to take in business not to squeeze every last drop out of it. I tend to squeeze every last drop or have that temptation be, uh, because there are times when I haven't had the drops. And in my case, like I've underbid something or somebody's taken advantage of me or I've had an employee that really wasn't producing. or So then when I get back to the employee that's producing, that then I now see, whoa, I could, I can take advantage of this. Like I'm savvy enough to know now that they need me more than I need them. And that's not really true, but it's this lie. You start to think, you start, oh, okay. That's what, that's at least how it begins. You start to think, okay, so I can squeeze this out and put this on them, or, you know, they need this, or they need to, they like to take on this stuff, or they don't understand the detriment. So then it becomes a posture of how do I navigate this Lord? Like really like, or, if there's jobs that I've underbid, there's jobs I've overbid. Like, how do I deal with that space in the overbid when I'm not, I don't have any power over the space that I lack in the underbid? So where is that, Lord? And that's a constant back and forth with me and in my relationship with God. And then with employees, you know, when you realize, man, there's a little bit more. I, I, honestly, as, as my business grows more profitable, I start to go, wait a second, I can move this profit one or two directions. I can move it over here to paying more employees more, or I can move it over here to pay me more. How do I balance that out, Lord? Like, where does that, where does that come into play? Um, that, so I, I mean, when someone quotes it, oftentimes I realize ah, I've been doing that, you know, I've been squeezing things out and it's a posture. It's like, I have to mentally back up from money that I could pick up off the ground, which just feels so foolish, but that's what God said. And I get it. It's that space of ministry that says, I don't have to have everything. And this is what I identified myself. And I'm going to say about me is that there's an element of greed there and an element of jealousy. Those, those works of the flesh there that want to pick up that last little bit of the harvest instead of uh, letting other people have it or letting or moving it to a different place um, in the business. You know, that's not just my sole paycheck. That's a posture that I routinely and continually have to take. And it is, so this is what I see it happen. Like I have to acknowledge that that right there is actually ministry. That's what, so that scripture that tells us, so I want to, I want to read this scripture because people are getting it wrong. That's why Pastor Witt's having to correct people. So the Paul, when he's writing Ephesians, he gives specific jobs. He says, okay, teachers, preachers, what we would call the quote unquote ministry. And he says, here's your job. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, the saints being us. So the actual ministry, Pastor Witt's right. Remember he said that in the podcast, what you should have is the perspective that when you leave the church, your ministry has just begun. When mm -hmm. you walk out of the church, 
Now you're equipped. And that's what I have to look at when I, the time I've spent in church, the time I've spent under the leadership here at Church on the Move, the time I've spent in my relationship with God, that has all prepared me to look at somebody and say, you have this. It's yours. You take it. Yeah. Would I love to have it? I would love to have that. Yes. That it speaks to my significance. It speaks to my, you know, my status. It speaks to my bank account. It speaks to all these things. It, it lets me have more freedom. But I know that true freedom comes with Christ, that God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that he's given me abundance, that there's plenty more where that came from, that I don't have to hoard every little bit. And that becomes the ministry. And then what opens up for me, Evan, is what I think is ministry. It is a little bit still, but then all of a sudden people want to talk about things. You start having conversations of real significance in people's spiritual destiny. You start having impact and people asking you questions. You know, that scripture where they, People like to throw it out there where you have such a hope in you in you that people ask why. Well, I always hear that scripture and think nobody ever asks anybody, hey, what's the hope in you? You know, you know, what's why are you so hopeful? Well, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but what they do say things like, Man, I never work for a boss like you. Like, I like working for you. Like people have said that. You're like, that feels like undeserved. Like, why would like I don't do anything, but you do. Because you take a posture of submission to Christ that says, I'm going to give a little space for other people to win. You said a great phrase because keeping my mouth shut has been a practice to learn <laughs> how to let other people win. Like, just shut up, Matt. You don't, need to, you don't need to bring that fact out. You don't have to bring out that six years ago you did it better than they did. Like, that's you're taking a moment from them in their life to say, just enjoy that space. That's the presence of God. That feeling of victory you get. I don't know about you, but I meet a lot of people that most of their life feels to them like failure. So you get them talking and it's sad. Yeah, I I think that's where part of the uh, the counter culture current comes into play. Like like cur the current of culture tells you that you need to win at all costs. So you, 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 that every, you have to beat everybody. You have to make all the shots. You have to do all the things. But I think that counter culture uh, stance is saying you know what there's more than enough for all of us here there's like i i don't i don't have to i don't have to be the champion of this like like let's win together like human flourishing when they talk about ministry and and the great commission that's not evan flourishing that's not matt flourishing that's human flourishing so is god big enough that everybody can flourish or will there always be poor people and will there always be people that are oppressed. I think it's possible that if we got out of our own way, that a lot of people, like, you know, we could help people and, and not have to worry about, you know, our needs being met because we already know our needs are going to be met and we're, we can be put in a position where we can help other people's needs. It's, it's stewarding well. You know, you, you, you talk about that part of it is, you know, he, he who stewards well with the small things will be stewarded with the the greater things. I screwed that quote up too, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I think that situation is the same. It's 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 letting those small wins happen uh, to where you're just like, okay, like I can I can manage these things. Like I don't have to I don't have to just hold on to this super tightly because I have to be the one in control of it. I can I can allow it to breathe. I can allow it to grow. I, I can let let it. Uh, I can plan it and let and let it grow itself. I think that allows you in those bigger situations 
to have the faith and, and, and trust to know that if it works in those small things, it'll work in the big things. And I think that's where, man, it, it gets tough when the numbers get bigger, for sure. It, it gets tough when the responsibility is larger, but I think the situations are the exact same. It's the, it's the per- person in the role that's making the decision. It's not the size of the decision. It's just, it's just that person's uh, ability to trust and, 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 and their ability to kind of lean back on their past experience and say, you know, God's got this. I was able to trust him in X, Y, and Z, and now I can, I can trust him in this. No matter if it's a, a thousand or a billion, it's, it's the same God, it's the same trust. And I think that if we can have that connectivity to Christ and, and that trust in that relationship, I think that's where a lot of those, those decisions become less stressful and those decisions become easier for us to make because we know the faithfulness of God through all of that, through a lot of things that we're talking about here. All right, let's, let's jump into the last part because I think this is the most important part from a brotherhood perspective, because I think this ties specifically into brotherhood. You are needy and you are needed. And I think that uh, from a brotherhood standpoint, like a lot of times we get into a situation where we don't, we definitely don't want to be needy. Like we, we want to be self-sufficient. We want to, we want to be able to take care of our own business and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and just get it done. But I think what, what Witt's talking about here and, and what he's pointing to is like, we need that brotherhood because there are going to be specific times when we need someone to put our socks on uh, our feet. And there's other times that we need to be in a position where we can put socks on other people's feet. And I think that when you're looking at that community of brotherhood, we talked in the beginning of this about just the full spectrum of ages and, and, and roles and, and, and just the different people that are in the brotherhood. I think, I think the, the, the spectrum covers everybody. Like there's going to be a time when you need something and there's going to be a time where you, you can provide something. And I think having that brotherhood, having those relationships that creates the opportunity and hopefully the, the posture where we're actively searching for that. So that the person who needs help is automatically taken care of because we're in a situation of abundance where we're looking for people to help. And I think that the the, the people that are in situations that need help, they can actually accept that help. I think that's another thing that we don't talk about enough is sometimes we're too proud to accept help when we actually need it. And then we're in a situation where we're unnecessarily struggling. We have a brotherhood, but we're, we're not, we're not in a situation where we're going to ask them for that help. I think in some cases, and it sounds like specifically uh, in, in Witt's case, like he had to go to his parents' house. <laughs> like his dad was not, his dad was not going to just be like, Hey, I'm not doing so great here. Like he was, he was just like, Hey, I'm, like I'll, I'll mind my own business. And if you show up one day and I'm not here, then, you know, I didn't do a very good job of it. I, I think that's definitely a pastor George thing, but I think that's, I think there's a lot of guys that relate to that. And I think that, you know, sometimes in brotherhood, that, that relationship of seeking out people that need help, but also be being willing to be vulnerable and be willing to put ourselves in a position to, uh, to, to be weak, uh, to, to have your needs met by somebody else. Because I think specifically for wit, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm going to put words in his mouth. So wait, if you hear this and, and you disagree, let me know. But I, th- I think the situation when he's specifically talking about being in a position of, you know, h- helping his dad with his socks, he said, he said something to the effect of, I knew that's what my dad needed in that moment. And I think that he's right. His dad probably did need that. But I think there's another side to that that we're not talking about. I think, I think Wit needed that in that moment. I think that was an opportunity yeah. for him to be a, a servant to his dad. And I think that that moment is something that he's going to carry with him for a long time because I think he maybe saw the frailty of his dad in that moment but it was a way for him to express love to his dad. And he didn't talk about that in here, but that's, I think, something that from a brotherhood perspective we need to tune into, which is sometimes we need ways to express our love to other people, and we're so proud and we don't have ways to do it. Um, but I, I would say that let's get 5, 10, 15 years from this – where you're thinking back on the moments that you've had with a, a loved person, a loved one. <clears throat> I think that can be one of those moments. It, it, it can be a moment of, I I was able to do something for them they could not do for themselves. And in that, I was able to demonstrate love for them. That's good. So as men, we get a lot of opportunities. Maybe we don't all get a lot, but we get opportunities to express our strength. We don't get a lot of opportunities to express our the only word that comes to mind is tenderness. It's not an earmark of a man to express tenderness. You know, one of the fruits of righteousness is meekness, sometimes rendered gentleness. I don't like the word. I don't like the rendering gentleness because I think the cultural connotation is incorrect. But the more I get comfortable with the word meekness, which is, The word meekness just means being strong, but not having to be strong. So you have the strength to crush something, but the strength to not crush it because it doesn't need to be crushed. Or it's really meekness is not always winning. It's not always, you've got the comment, you've got the story that can just trump everybody, but you don't tell it. That's meekness. So when you render a gentleness, it paints that picture that Wit paints putting on the socks of his dad. Like, he got to express his ability to not be the, I mean, he is the strongest in that moment, but not appear to be the strongest. It appears. And I mean, Jesus washed feet. So we got a pretty good example. And I think he alluded to that. He either said it or I picked it up, but it's that same picture of Jesus washing feet. And you're right. We need to express that. Like that's, I'm so glad you brought that point out because I'm trying to say it in a different way than you said it, but there's not a, we need to be able to express that. Just let me have my moment. We don't let me have my moment, man. It's okay. Like you're right. You're right. I I totally, I'm trying to win. You gotta be meek here. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. I totally didn't mean better, but I probably did. No, for real. Like we need to be able to express those moments. Like one of the things that I learned in marriage that I've tried to practice is having a tender moment before you leave. This is where we get the whole kiss you before you leave. And I found myself good at moments like, hey, let me do this for you. Or what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Which 
turns out my wife didn't really want me to do. So it was an epic fail in marriage. Like me doing something for her did not express love, at least in early on. Well, but then those moments of tenderness started coming along as being something important. And that was an exercise, a practice for me to do those little things. Like, and I thought it was for her. But turns out it's for me. <laughs> like, I enjoy that expression. I enjoy that expression of not having to be strong, which as I'm saying, it seems weird to me, but it is reality. And I do, I would agree. Uh, you know, of course, if it's not the case for Pastor Witt, if I were to be in this situation and one day when I am, the putting my dad's socks on is something that I would need to do. It would need some... It, not because I need to do it. Like this is the, you know, step in. It's more me. The soul of me needs to experience that and know what it's like to love somebody like that. It's, just, it's good. This is a big moment for you, Matt, I think. I think we've had a breakthrough here. You might be. <laughs> Man. Well, right here, right in front uh, of everybody. For, and then more than that, it's on my I, tape, I appreciate so your vulnerability in this moment. This. this is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... This is this is brotherhood in action right here. I mean, uh, you know, right. yeah. Through through your it. vulnerability, hopefully, it's helping other people. I know it's helping me. So I, I think that I think that makes the case for it. And I I, I think that you know, I, I think that Wit sees brotherhood and, and and Johnny and and Lee and, and and all the guys. Like we really, from a like men's ministry perspective or or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's it's tough, right? It's tough to get guys to put the value in relationship and just getting together and, and doing uh, things together as guys to create those conversations, to create that need needed environment. But I think that as soon as guys see it, like they see they see the true value of it, I think that's when there's like a a magnetic event that happens and that's where you really start to see it, it grow and grow. And I I think we've seen that with the breakfast and and what, what brotherhood has become. Um, But I think it was why it's, it's a slow build because I think guys like our, our BS radar is really BS radar is really high. Like, like if we, if we can tell that you're, that you're just full of crap, (laughs) <laughs> like, like we're, we're just going to start disappearing because it's like, I, I got a lot of other responsibilities and things that I need to do. I'm not going to pour my time into this if I don't think that I'm going to get anything out of it. But I think when you get guys who get into situations when they can be real in that moment, they can walk, they can see somebody who's walked through it and they can see, you know, how God moves through that or, or the benefit of trusting God in those situations, I think we're attracted to that because we're all looking for the same thing. And I think that brotherhood creates that environment. We need brotherhood and, and, and brotherhood needs us. And I think that from just everything that you need to know from a following Christ perspective all the way to uh, just building the value of brotherhood, I think that's why this this message and 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 this this uh, this podcast that we're talking about is something that I think that we need to constantly remind ourselves of. This is not something that it's like okay, it's January, it's new beginnings, we're starting over. This is this is not that. This this is a situation where like we're in a continual walk, we're in a continual journey with Christ, and I think sometimes we get so focused on like all of our responsibilities and everything that we need in life 
that we forget some of the basic principles. And I, I think, I think Wit put it together really well that knowing that you're loved, that's the whole reason that you get into the relationship with Christ is just that desire, that need for love, recognizing that you're called, that you have a ministry, you have a purpose that God has created you for a reason. And that's to help other people. That's, that's to be a light in the darkness. And one of the ways that you can do that is, is through brotherhood, that is through community. So, you know, as, as much as we've talked about, and I, I feel like we probably haven't even scratched the surface on a lot of this, these things, if anything, it's like I said, it's a good reminder of, of, of principles that we need to keep at the forefront of our mind as we're going through a walk, as we're leading our families, as we're uh, leading our teams, as we're just going through life. And I think kind of the, the key takeaway for me is, is going back to the gratitude looking at the gratitude of the situation of like Christ's love for us is what really starts all this. And I think that for me to demonstrate love back is through gratitude for, for all that he's done for us and, and for, you know, having an opportunity to have a brotherhood, having an opportunity to be in a position where I can help other people and I can, I can lead other people and I can point other people to Christ and being hopefully in that situation eventually where I can demonstrate that love to somebody else and really recognize that, you know, for me, that that's going to be a moment that I can cherish for the rest of my life. So that's what I got out of this message. I I don't know if you had anything else that you want to add to it, but I enjoyed talking about it because it's, it's one that I'll be probably tuning into uh, multiple times throughout this year. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to say one thing that I wrote down and we haven't hit on it yet, but what you just said leads up to it. Pastor Witt said this statement. He said, you will not gain the ground that you need to if you go at it alone. And I expanded it, at least for myself, that you will not gain the ground that you need to or could possibly gain if you go at it alone. As men, we are challenged on a daily basis with taking ground, with accomplishing something, building something, achieving something, earning something. There's a number of phrases that we say over and over and over. Every motivational guy from his different slant communicates this message, this idea that's the, you know, take charge, take the, you know, the bayonet, rush into battle, you know, do the land run, go stake your claim. Like so many, all those, all that imagery. And what we forget, and this is the importance of brotherhood, is that we may gain ground. So I may look back at my year and be like, that was a great year. Man, I killed it. I did some, like, man, we hit our numbers. We hit, I went above and beyond our numbers. I was lasered in, focused. You know, I came up with some great ideas. Or we can flip it and start, you know, waxing it Christian-wise or at least giving credit to where credit's due. Like, man, God worked through me. I mean, God gave me some incredible ideas. God, God did some amazing things in my business by using, you know, the, my hand and the little bit I put forward. Like, those are great statements. I'm, I'm, uh, this isn't a, uh, this isn't opposition to it. But if I could compare those to the ground I would have gained with people, with others, so the amount of ground I've gained since really going full force into brotherhood, which then included mountain men and has grown with the breakfast is 
the part, the scripture where Paul writes above all I could ask or think. I have fashioned my work ethic to try to accomplish, if not pretty much accomplish what I could think. If I can think it, I'll go out and get it. But that's not abundance living. That's not really what God has given to me. He, he's given to me above all I could ask or think, which turns out to be like this. It ends up to be more than I would have accomplished on my own with less effort by myself. And that is valuable. Like that is a big deal. So if you're listening to this and 100% of your goals are built on your achievement, you may achieve every one of them. You might. And still, that will be less than you will have accomplished if you'll do it with a community. If you'll walk in community, that community will cost you some time. It will cost you some effort. And it will appear initially that to gain the ground you wanted or thought you could, you won't be able to do it because the time going into volunteering a brotherhood or volunteering at church or attending church or attending brotherhood. Like, but I promise you this, I can see it all through the Bible. I've seen it in other men's lives. I've seen it in my life. You will not gain the ground that you need to or could possibly gain if you go out it alone. You need a brotherhood. Well, Matt, I don't think I can add anything to that. So I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let you have the exclamation point on that Thanks one for, for sure. <laughs> but no, that's I, I think that that's something that people need to stew on for a little bit because I think part of part of their mind is I can do it, I can figure it out, and then I can get the best. And I think what you're saying is, uh, well, well, I think the curtain that you're pulling back is that there's more possible there, and that you that you've seen it. And I think that uh, through brotherhood, other people can see that. And when that happens. I think that there's an energy behind that. There's a, there's an excitement behind that. And, and I, I think there's a hunger to say, okay, let like, I want to pursue that more. And I think that's something that you can, you can find through, through your brotherhood uh, and, and through Christ. So awesome, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, brothers, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the King. We'll catch you on the next podcast. 